We're going to be in Nehemiah tonight, give you a moment to find that. Nehemiah chapter 1. Before Job, you have Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, then Job, then Psalms. So, help you find it there. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to talk some tonight again about prayer, about the burden that Nehemiah had for his country. And quite an interesting story and um, One of the things that makes, I, I, I never really thought, I've taught, I've taught all the way through the book of Nehemiah and preached on this chapter before, but one of the things that crossed my mind today was Nehemiah was a Jew, he was a patriot, really he loved Israel, but he was a part of the people who had been taken captive during the Babylonian captivity, and then that Babylonian empire was replaced by the Medes and Persian empire. And so Nehemiah, who was a patriotic Jew, was in the court of the Persian Empire, a pagan empire. And uh, even though he was living in a foreign country and in a non-Jewish uh, country, he loved his homeland and he loved his God and he served God. And so we can serve God about wherever God puts us, right? That's one of the things I get out of that. We're going to read in Nehemiah 1. We're actually going to read the whole chapter. Let's stand together, please. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, that came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. 20th year he's talking about is the 20th year of the reign of the king, the Persian king, whose name you might consider for your next child, Artaxerxes. 20th year of the reign of the king. At that time, verse 2 says that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. I should have refreshed my memory on this, but I'm thinking this about 800 miles away. Jerusalem, from where he was in the palace of the king. He asked his brethren concerning the Jews, and verse 3 says, And they said to me, The remnant that are left of the captivity that are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, here we have his prayer. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night, 
for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we've sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. He continues his prayer. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, this is what God said to Moses, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence. And will bring them unto the place that I've chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant, this day, And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray again, all right? Father, please bless tonight as we study. Help us to be attentive, alert. Help us, Lord, to not only have a better understanding of what was taking place in Nehemiah's day, but Lord, help us to gain principles for our own lives that help us in the world that we live in today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Nehemiah had a great burden for his people. It's obvious the way he responded, his concern for the homeland. As it said, he was a cupbearer to uh, the king, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. His name is found in verse 1. If you want to pronounce it a different way, you're welcome to. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. That wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. The cupbearer's job was to taste whatever the king was about to eat or drink to make sure it wasn't poison. Um, our former president probably needed a cupbearer, but he, he did survive for four years. But... Uh, Nehemiah's people, the Jews, were taken captive around 150 years before this event right here. And uh, they were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, a matter of history, Bible history, you know, history, world history. And the reason they became captives, just for the record, was not because the Babylonians were so mighty, it's because God's people had sinned. And God used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to bring chastisement to his people. And so they were taken away. The Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and Persians. And uh, they were there in their total captivity of 70 years. Now, just put this into this equation. Those Jews that were taken captive, some of those Jews became very powerful names and and servants of God in their captivity. Daniel was one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were people of renown. People who were Jewish people taken captive and had great influence. How about the name Esther and Mordecai? Uh, 
These are people that are captured. These are people who are taken prisoner. And yet God used them and blessed them and they became tools and servants of God. And the same is true about Nehemiah. That's who Nehemiah is. He's a cupbearer to the king of a Jewish heritage. He probably was, he probably never, as far as we know, he, we, he never even went to Ju, uh, Ju, Judah or Judea before this. Now, uh, if you read in the book of Esther, we're not going to turn to it, or Ezra, I should say. There is a man by the name of Nehemiah that made that journey that Ezra writes about, and there was a man by the name of Mordecai, but it's very doubtful that it was this, uh, this Nehemiah. It was probably a different Nehemiah. But anyway, he's, since the first group of people who left um, to, another interesting thing, another group, the, the first group of people who left the Persian Empire to go back to Jerusalem were sent there by a, another heathen king, Cyrus, the king of Persia. And that happened about 90 years before Nehemiah is writing what we're reading about today. So he was in, living in Persia, but he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He was from, his family was from this area. And I, I'm going to say some things that kind of pertain to life in general, but I want to especially talk about dealing with a, you know, as we as Christians, you know, in America, as, we, as I've said numerous times, we're spoiled rotten in America. We've got it so easy. We've got it so good. And we haven't dealt with much of the persecution that some Christians do in some parts of the world. But the question is, how could a Jewish patriot, Nehemiah, faithfully serve a pagan king? In our climate, in our culture, in the world we live in, many people on the right, conservatives, would consider him a traitor because he could get along with a pagan king. You know what I'm saying? They would just look at it like he's some, he's got to be a compromiser. And I'm not saying that to be political. I'm saying it to be reasonable. I mean, he, God really used him. And I, I was thinking today, wouldn't it be wonderful if God would put some real Christians, at, at, give them a seat at the table among some of the most liberal uh, legislators there could be? Wouldn't it be good to have a Bible believer in that mix? That's kind of what Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was in that setting as a, a, a devout Jew, a Hebrew, a Hebrew patriot. Okay, now we kind of, kind of reviewed the setting. So he had a brother in verse 2. His name was Hananiah. And he brought news from Judah and Jerusalem. And it was in, it says in verse 1, it was in the 20th year of Artaxerxes Rain. We're not going to turn to it, but um, if in the book of in the book of Ezra, that group of exiles went from there's three groups really: one under Zerubbabel, one under Ezra, and one under Nehemiah. And the and the one under Ezra was in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, and it tells you that in the book of Ezra. So this is the twentieth year. So it's been thirteen years since Ezra and his group had gone down to Jerusalem. And it's been about 90 years since Zerubbabel and his people went down there. So we don't know what Nehemiah is thinking. But he asked his brother, how are things in Jerusalem? I would think, he's probably thinking, you know, they've been down there since Zerubbabel went down there. It's been 
maybe as much as 90 years. And since Ezra went down, it's been 13 years. Probably things are really good in Jerusalem. Rebuilt, back to normal, as we would say. But this is not what he heard. Verse 3, this is the report that came to him. The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province, those that are still there, are in great affliction and reproach. The people are in great affliction and reproach, and the wall, the structure, the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and gates thereof are burned with fire. So the people are in bad shape, and the, there's, there's been no progress. Even after decades, there's no, you know, a city in those days was protected by the walls around the city, and the cities are all broken down, they're vulnerable. I told you how to die today. I was going to be teaching on, on Nehemiah. And he says, you're going to be talking about building the wall? I said, no, we'll stay away from But that's what he went down there to do, by the way. He built the wall. And that's a great story in the book of Nehemiah. So how does Nehemiah respond to this news? Think about this. How, do you, how would he respond? I've already read it, but look again in verse 4. When I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So that's what I want to just mention as we move kind of through this passage, and that was how, how it affected him. He mourned for days. He fasted. He prayed. You know, hearing bad news is it's not usually welcome, right? It's just not... It's not what we look forward to. But it's not always bad if the bad news motivates you to really get serious about seeking God. And sometimes it is bad news. It's a doctor's report. It's a financial report. It's something that we didn't want to happen, but it gets us more engaged spiritually. And so, so he, didn't, he didn't start worrying he didn't start complaining. He didn't say, why did, why, they've been down there now for a long time. Why haven't they built that wall? He just was brokenhearted. And, uh, and, you know, news ought to have an effect on us. You know, we can hear things that ought to be devastating, and sometimes it's like that, you know, proverbial water off a duck's back. Like, I... I you. I can prove this to you. I don't think you could disprove what I'm about to say, talking about just the work of the Lord. There are more missionaries around the world that are coming home to America. Far more missionaries are coming home from the mission field than there are missionaries going to the mission field. That means we're losing ground every day. But you know what? We hear that news sometimes and it doesn't even affect us. It doesn't change us at all. It ought, news ought to affect us. We ought to think about it. And it affected him. You know, when we, when we hear news and see news on the news and in display all around us that our country is becoming more profane, more godless, less principle, that, that ought to affect us. It ought to, it ought to have a, cause us to, you know, to be burdened. So Nehemiah was burdened, but his burden wasn't just a source of of uh, fear, it motivated him to pray. And that's really the, what this chapter is about. 
was about his prayer. He had a very compassionate heart for God's work. And he began to pray. Um, it's interesting, he says this more than once, but just look in verse 6. He says, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. He's, he's, he considers himself God's servant. He's a cupbearer to the king of Persia, the most powerful empire at that time. And he, is, he works for the king, directly for the king, but he considered himself a servant of God. And by the way, the, the God's word teaches all of us that we should look at ourselves that way. Even in our world of employment and vocation. We, so he saw himself as a, as a servant of God. And, and that's really what I want to be. Even if, even if the person or the party is in charge that I didn't vote for, I still want to be a servant of God. Right? I mean, that's what we're to be. We, and I, and I, I'm a very, I'm very, I stay pretty well connected politically and I know a few things about what's going on. Uh, enough more than I probably need to know, but but we're not we're our primary focus is serving God, and we can do that. He was doing that. He was doing being a servant of God in a very heathen place. I I, I would like to live, but we would all like to live in a place where it's where everybody loves the Lord and everybody treats each other like the Bible says and. And nobody ever mistreats anybody or says anything that's profane. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? But that's not the world we live in. But we still serve God. And he is going to use his position as a servant of God to intercede, to pray for others. And it says in verse... Um, Let's just, let's just kind of look at his prayer, a few details about his prayer in verse 5. When he begins, he says, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. Now, the word terrible there doesn't mean that God's bad. It means he's amazing, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's awesome. He's to be feared. So really, he begins with praising the Lord. That's a, that's a word of praise, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy. You're a, you're a covenant-keeping God. You're, you answer prayers. You keep your word. And, he, and that's very important because in just a little bit, and we'll get to this moment, in a, very, in a moment he's going to say, God, I want to bring up some things that you said you'd do. Covenants that you said, and, and, I'm, and I'd like to ask you to do what you said you would do. And so it helps when we're praying, number one, we ought, to, we ought to begin by praising the Lord. You know, that, that great prayer, the model prayer Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy. Hallowed be thy name. So he's giving God praise. He's, he's, commending, he's acknowledging, I should say, that God keeps his word and that God is merciful. Then in verse 6 he says, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee day and night. So we begin to see really not only that he prayed, but he was very earnest about his prayer. He said, I pray before thee day and night. 
He used the word in uh, verse 5, I beseech thee. The word beseech means to ask with urgency. You know, it's one thing to ask somebody something. It's another thing to ask with urgency. Beseech means he was serious, he was earnest about it. He used that word in verse 5, I beseech thee. In verse 8 he says in his prayer, remember I beseech thee. In verse 11 he says, O Lord, I beseech thee. He's imploring him with a sense of urgency. There was an urgency in his prayer. You know, we can pray kind of, just because we pray doesn't mean we're earnest about it. So he's praying with a, a sincerity, with a seriousness, and he's praying night and day. Not just, you know, you ever heard anybody say, I'll pray for you when I go to bed tonight when I say my prayers. Well, he wasn't just praying when he goes to bed tonight saying his prayers. He's praying night and day. And not only is he praying night and day, but verse 4 says he's fasting. He's fasting and praying. He's, this man's serious. He's not eating. He's probably losing sleep. Paul, Paul talked about in watchings often. Watchings when you're awake at night. He's praying day and night. He's praying with fasting. He's beseeching God. It's an interesting thing. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, It came to pass in the month Chislu. And you'd have to do some research to figure out what month that is, the month Chislu, if you looked at the calendar of months. But if you look in verse 2, chapter 2, Verse 1, it says that it came to pass in the month Nisan or Nisan. So in chapter 1, verse 1, he hears, has this visitor who come to him in the month Chislu. And he, he's praying night and day. And he's fasting. And he's seeking the Lord. And in chapter 2, in verse 1, he goes before the king to fulfill his duty as a cupbearer. But if you were to look that up, how long was it between the month Chislu and the month Nisan? It was about four months. So he didn't just get a burden and walk into the king with it. He's been fasting and praying. He's been night and day seeking God. He's beseeching God for months. before. So I'm just saying, we're talking about his prayer. His prayer began with praise. His prayer, his prayer included earnestness, sincerity. A third thing that his prayer... Involved is begins in verse uh, six. Also, he says, "I'm praying night and day." Middle of verse six, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments. We haven't obeyed your commandments. We've been corrupt. Not only have we disobeyed your commandments, but also the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. So the third thing we see, not only was it praise, was it uh, earnestness, seriousness, but thirdly, it involved confession of sin. He didn't just say, God, please help our people. He's, he's going to get to that. But, you know, he, he felt compelled to confess 
the nation's sins, the nation's corruption, and their disobedience, but he included himself in that. I and my fa- I, I've sinned as well. I and my father's house have sinned. We've dealt corruptly. He, he prayed with, with repentance and confessing sin. And um, every problem we have is not because of sin, but most of us would agree that any time we get really serious about praying, you know, if we have any sin, it's going to surface. You know, it's like Jesus said, you know, when you bring your gift to the altar, and there thou rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, first go be reconciled to your brother. It's like the guy brings his gift to the altar, and he's going to make a sacrifice to God, and then all of a sudden he remembers, you know, there's something between me and this person. It's amazing how that works sometimes. You know, we really start getting serious about seeking God. We remember things that probably aren't like they ought to be. And that's what Nehemiah's doing. They're confessing their sins. He's confessing their sins. And, it, you know, it'd be, it'd be very normal, very natural for a person to say, God, you know, our country's full of corruption. Our country's full of crooks. Our country's full of liars. And as though we don't have any problems in our own life. But to be really honest... Hi, Sarah, I just now realized you were here. Good to see you. Congratulations. What was I saying? It'd be very easy for us to confess all the sins of the world, but overlook our own sins. But Nehemiah's not doing that. He said, we've all sinned. There's no, no... Nobody can, when, like when Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. Grab a rock, I'm going to watch. The only one who was without sin was the one who gave him that option, right? And they all walked away. So he's confessing his sin, he's confessing their sins. And then in verse 8, he's beginning to remind God of some promises that God made. And we already read it, but I want to read it again just to refresh our memory. Verse 8 says, Remember, I beseech thee. You know, try to get a picture of this in your mind. A man hundreds and hundreds of miles away from his homeland who got a burden for his people and prayed for months And he's just seeking God. It's just him and God. He's just this man seeking God and beseeching God. And he says in verse 8, I beseech thee, remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. Saying, if you transgress, and by the way, we could turn and look this up in in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Nehemiah is very aware of what God said in the Old Testament. And he said, if this is what this is what you said to Moses, God, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. By the way, that's where Jeremiah was. I mean Nehemiah was. Scatter abroad among the nations because of their transgression. He said he said, I beseech you. Remember the word that you said to Moses. 
If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Verse 9, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And that place that God chose to set his name there was Jerusalem. God, you said if we sinned, you'd scatter us. But you also said if we had turned to you with all of our heart, you'd bring us back home. So he's asking God to work according to what God has already said he would do. Verse 10, now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. So he's reminding God about these great promises And uh, he asked God for mercy. Now, verse 11, he asked God for mercy, but he specifically asked God to bless a a meeting that he's planning to have with the king. So let's look at that again in verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. He's asking him for God to give mercy before this man, and the man is the king. Now, God heard this prayer, and God is already working mightily in the circumstances. I believe God was working mightily to get Nehemiah where he was and to get this report from Nehemiah, to Nehemiah about what was happening so he could go before this Persian king. Now, I just want to read the first four verses without much commentary of chapter 2 because we, we see a picture here of how God was working in answer to his prayer. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Notice this. This is worth meditating on. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Now, I, I'm going to resist the temptation to spend a lot of time on that. But imagine that you're Nehemiah and you work, you're 800 miles from home and you're working for a heathen king. And he's never once seen you sad before. That's something, isn't it? Apparently he didn't have these mood swings or whatever, you know what I'm saying? He was just steady Eddie. I mean, he was just, this guy was something else. The king had never before seen him sad. Look in verse 2. Wherefore, because of that, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. So the king said to him, why are you so sad? You're not sick. You don't have COVID. Why are you so sick? You know, you don't, you don't appear to be ill. This is, you're sick. You have a sorrow in your heart. You, you're carrying a burden. This is what the king is saying to him. You're carrying a burden. You're sad. When he said that, look how it affected Nehemiah, then I was very sore afraid. Now what's the king going to do? Now 
He sees, what am I going to say? But you know what? Nehemiah didn't have a choice. He didn't, he didn't go in there and tell the king he needed the king's help. He just went in there praying. And God's going to work things out as God can. Verse 3, and, and he, this is what Nehemiah said to the king. Let the king live forever. Which is just a typical response, I think. Long live the king sort of thing. Let the king live forever. And then he said this, why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres or graves, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are ever consumed with fire, how could I not be sad? How could I not be burdened? The place that I love, the place that my family's from, my father's, where they were raised. By the way, in this country, we know, we know a lot a lot about patriotism. Patriotism basically is a love of country. I love our country. And I love our heritage. I love our history. I love what this country has stood for. I, I, we have a lot, of pat- a lot of patriots in this country, genuine patriots who love this country and don't want to destroy it. But Jewish people, by and large, were patriotic people. They loved Israel. And so he's burdened for them. In verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? Is there something I can do? And I love this next sentence. It it covers two, two parts of two verses. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king. The king says, what can I do for anything for you? And as soon as the king said that, he started praying. He talked to God in his mind, and he starts talking to the king out loud. By the way, that's a pretty good way to work. Talk to God. We talk to people without God, it may not be as effective. If we talk to God and not the people, it may not work the way God wants. He talked to God and the people. And in long story short, he told the king, if you'd be happy to do this, I'd just love to go see them. And I'd like to have the resources, the timber, the wood to start building the wall. And you know what the king said? You've got it. Gave him official official authority gave him the stuff he needed to build the building materials gave him permission to go the God was working mightily isn't that wonderful you know God I mean God doesn't always do things this way but God answers prayer you know Maybe you don't feel this way, but I feel this way, and I think a lot of people probably do. And not just, not just today, but we felt this way for many years. Our country's in not a really good place, spiritually and morally. We're just not. I mean, you look at so many issues that are really, um, we've gotten far away from, from uh, the way we started as far as our our, the framework of our country and the, and the values of our country. And, and these circumstances impact us. They, they anger us sometimes. They irritate us. They trouble us. Sometimes they make people afraid and, and worry. People worry. But, but a lot, there are people in this room that I know, and I haven't polled anybody or asked them, but I know this is true because I know the pe- a lot of the people in this room 
they're genuinely burdened. Burden for our country, burden for our future, burden for your children. You know, we were just talking Sunday, uh, myself and one of our fellows, just about how far this country has gone in a, you know, how the changes since my grandparents were alive. When I can remember so well when my grandparents, when I was a little kid, my grandparents, the world they lived in, I just, just saying it brings back fond memories. And not just about fishing and hunting, but memories about, uh, about people who had more respect for one another and loved one another and could get along with one another. And I, so anybody who looks at where we are could be burdened, genuinely burdened. Nehemiah was burdened. He, he couldn't hide it. His employer, if we could say that, could see the burden on his face. But he wasn't just burdened. He was praying for months for God to do something. So I just want to say tonight, we ought to let our burdens cause us to pray. You know, <clears throat> I prayed regularly for our president. But, uh, what was our president's name? Trump. But I'll tell you another thing. I prayed regularly for President Obama for eight years. I didn't, I certainly didn't agree with a lot of his policies. It had nothing to do with the color of his skin. It had to do with, with the Bible and policies about life and things of that nature. But I'm just saying, we ought to pray. God, by the way, God commands us to pray for our leaders, for those in authority. I've been praying for our new president and vice president. Praying that God would give them wisdom. Praying that God would work in their hearts. Praying for their salvation if they're not saved. They're, they may be religious, but that doesn't mean they're saved. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, Pray that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Those are, things, those are Bible things we can pray for. You know, um, if you want to stand around and complain about everything that's wrong in America, I'll stand with you, because <laughs> I complain about it too. But, but that's not really going to fix anything. But we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. I, that, that's really, I mean, when I read the stories like this, it encourages my faith in what God can do. Look what God did. Nehemiah didn't make this happen. God made this happen. And... I know God used people, and I don't know who all Nehemiah was referring to when he says, hear the prayer of thy servants. But there were a lot of Jewish people. Most of the Jewish people were still in exile. No doubt many of them were praying. And what a difference prayer can make. Amen? So let's, let's pray for that. What a difference. What a difference a person can make who's praying, really praying. Not just praying one time, not just praying hit and miss, but praying earnestly, praying with fasting, praying night and day, praying for God to work. Praying is not all we can do, but praying is something we can all do. And of course, along with that, we ought to be sharing the gospel with people. People need the Lord. People need the Lord in America. And we could be teaching and training people, including our own family, our children, grandchildren, teaching and training people 
about the Bible, about discipleship, but also about, you know, I'm not going to get off into this, but two, a couple of things were, were paramount in the forming of this country. When America um, declared their independence from British rule, one thing was there had been a time of spiritual awakening, of real revival taking place in that time frame. The second thing was that churches and preachers, particularly pastors, but churches, we're teaching people about the principles, the biblical principles, not partisanship. There weren't political parties. There was just, you know, the king and the British rule and, and these colonists. But they were teaching about principles of liberty and freedom of liberty and those kind of things. And those, those are the kind of things that led to our country. It wasn't just about partisan hacks that hated each other. It was about principles that came, became a part of our Constitution. And, you know, they're not easy to read, but I've read some sermons that were preached from pulpits in those days encouraging people to know what the Bible says about who we are and those kinds of things. I'm just saying, you know, we, this, this shouldn't be a time of retreating. It, shouldn't be, it ought to be a time of seeking God and saying, God, we're your servants. We are here to serve you, and we can serve God any place, anytime. Amen? My wife and I have been just reading the last couple of days in the book of Genesis about the place that Joseph was. And we read over that sometimes and forget the fact that he was in Egypt, a very idolatrous, pagan, extremely pagan world. And yet God kept promoting him and blessing him and using him. And he was, a, he was a tool that God had in a very pagan world. Isn't that something what God can do? What a difference we could make. Amen. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. But I'd like for us to just take a few moments... And just right there where you sit, just say, Lord, I want to I see myself as your servant. Here at this time to do your work. And I want to trust you to work as only you can work. Work in our country, work in our family, work in our circumstances. I, it's not about how big we are, it's about how great God is. You say, well, I'm just one person. So was so was Nehemiah, just one person who went before his king with prayer, and it made a difference. Amen? Let's bow our heads together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a few moments. Would you do that? Would you say, Lord, use me? And maybe we need to start by just giving God praise and thanks. That's the way Nehemiah started. And maybe we need to confess where we've been wrong. Maybe there's some things in our own life that would hinder us from getting our prayers answered. Things that we've just been overlooking and dismissing.
things that we need to acknowledge. That's what Nehemiah did. Maybe we need to be earnest. Stay with it. Don't just pray one time. Don't make this the only time. But let's pray as Nehemiah did. Day after day, week after week, month after month, day and night. 